Hello. There are questions. Who's the boss? Which is better, cute meep or evil meep? And why has this old face come back? Well, to answer the, the last question first, I'm here to host the Track One podcast, looking at this week's episode of New Doctor Who, The Star Beast. Great! Welcome, I'm Sai, and I'm here with Denise, Jason, and Mark tonight. Hi there. Oh. oh. And well, we're at the start of a new era, but it's also an old era. So, for to start us off, how are we feeling about RTD2? Because there's lots of things that are new, but there's lots of things that are old as well. So I think there are a few things that we can probably cover just to sort of get us started. So how are we feeling about this? Well, I mean, I'm happy. You know, I'm very excited to see Shuti Gatwa. But in the meantime, look at this. RTD is back. Um, Doctor Who is on Disney Plus, so people who live outside of the UK can enjoy it in the same way. And um, yeah, I can only imagine that RTD, the situation with Donna must have been bugging him for years. The way he left it, I mean, the thing with Rose, you know, he left her in a parallel universe without the man she loved. He had to fix that. And so he had to fix Donna as well. And now he's back and he's got the chance to do it. And wasn't it amazing? It was like putting on a pair of like, uh, you know, old comfy shoes that you've not worn for a while or finding that really like, you know, favourite T-shirt like at the bottom of the drawer that you'd not worn for ages and like, you know, you, you put on and it's like that really nice, like kind of like, you know, feeling of like, oh, you know, it, it, it's it's just great to kind of like have, you know, a, a reprise of what was probably, I would say, the best run of RTD's original run. And it's like they've come back for an encore, you know, and it was literally straight into it. You know, David straight into it. You know, obviously he's playing the 14th Doctor, but essentially it's the 10th Doctor returned with the same personality, you know, some slight different traits, but, you know, obviously the question of why I've got this face back. And But Catherine Tate was straight back into it as Donna. And obviously, you know, um, it was just great to see them again. It was fantastic. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. The same sort of thing. It was it was a great sense of nostalgia, but it, it also felt like Russell T. Davis is, is taking things from the previous two eras as well. I think there's, I mean, there's an absolute wealth of behind-the-scenes uh, material suddenly as well because you've got the Doctor Who Unleashed, you've got the making of on YouTube, you've got the official podcast which is contributed towards, and you've got the InVision commentary as well. So there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. I know he's talking about, not to jump to the end, but the the new TARDIS interior, the Cerebro TARDIS. He's saying about how that was uh, influenced by seeing the white TARDIS console that. Um, that Clara had at the end of uh, Hellbent and that the Fugitive Doctor had in Fugitive of Jadoon. And I think even that that opening where the Doctor is addressing the audience for the recap feels like before the flood, where you've got the 12th Doctor addressing the audience and kind of setting up the premise of the, of the, the bootstrap paradox. I don't think it's something that we ever saw in the first 
RTD era. Uh, it sort of reminded me actually of that trailer that we had with the Tenth Doctor and Martha, where they were each given their own perspectives uh, and, and addressing the camera. That was a trailer; it wasn't it wasn't part of the episode. But it did slightly remind me of the first two series of Red Dwarf as well, where Holly kind of gives a, a recap of what's happening against a, a space background. They, they, like you say, they've brought a really, the really familiar, exciting elements back, but but it has moved on and evolved as well. Yeah, it's, it's that kind of familiar, but not quite how you remember it feeling as well, which is is really cool and really nicely done. So because everything has moved on, it's been fifteen years, which I acknowledge in the episode itself. So it's not like everything has just been static and you've pulled them out of 2008 and we're having an adventure set within the era. This is still new Doctor Who um, and it's sort of pushing forward, which um, is a really good thing. I wasn't sure sort of how this was going to work, really, because we've never had anyone come back to run the show for a second stint. And... It's it's really intriguing to see how Russell has moved on, but also this is sort of it, coming back to something and an era that is so loved, and giving it sort of another last hurrah. Which, as as um, Jason said and Denise said, it's like he wants to fix what where he left his Doctor Who and come back and address that and. Um, for that to come out of the lockdown commentaries is a really lovely thing that mm. they they all were desperate to come back and all really wanted to do this. So, I mean, as well as that, we've also obviously got Murray Gold back on music duties in quite a subtle episode for Murray Gold, which was, was also <laughs> a bit of a surprise. We weren't on full-on bombast and there were, were some beautiful bits of music. I'm still not keen on the new theme but maybe it will work its magic on me eventually but i loved the new titles i thought they were beautiful and especially as i I bought a new tv last week unexpectedly and i wasn't expecting to be doing this and so suddenly i could watch in uhd via the iplayer and it looked really really amazing oh it is a good looking show very definitely is and i loved the um background in Camden Market and things like that. That was uh, really nice little details in there. I mean, I know it was really blue screen in Wales, but... Uh... Yeah, and it's... it's. I mean, it looks as if they've thrown money at it. You know, that whole battle that we had in the street between the soldiers of the Psychedelic Sun, which, uh, let's face it, is the great greatest name for a prog rock band if ever (laughs) (laughs) playing Glastonbury in five years with that title (laughs) I'll be very very disappointed but them and the Wraith Warriors you know that was kind of like you know ramped up it was like like what we'd seen previously but you could see that they've thrown like even more money at the Disney money's like in there and obviously that comes through to like the TARDIS set as well um, but also we've got R- Rachel Talahai, who's uh, come back as director, and she was um, responsible for some fantastic episodes during the Twelfth uh, Doctor run. So you know, it, w- yeah, we're not just getting Russell T Davis and his crew back. You know, he, he's he's taking the opportunity to pick you know other people who've worked on the show. We've got Neil Gorton and uh, his FX crew back. You know, doing uh, the meep. I thought the meep 
was essentially, you know, and again, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but I thought it was kind of like just somebody in a suit with a basic face and then it would all be CG afterwards. But to see it actually, it was a full animatronic. I was going, wow, they, they've pushed the boat out on that. That, that was amazing. That's, that, that's like kind of Star Wars level animatronics that, you know, we're getting in the show. That, I was just bowled over at just how good that was with the expressions of the face and everything that it had. So, you know, it, it's it's just great. <laughs> I can't phrase this episode enough. It's like it's it's like a season opener. Uh, and I know obviously it's only like a series of three episodes, but it is literally as as good as like, you know, the openers that we've had previously that really kind of like it's a fun fantastic adventure and then we're saving kind of like some of the other stuff for the later episodes where you can then experiment a little bit and i believe the second episode of which nobody knows anything about bar the title really is going to be really experimental and quite scary and quite you know different um but this was like proper like an an old-fashioned season opener that we used to get it felt like partners in crime or Smith and Jones, didn't it? Where it's, it's not too demanding. It gets the audience back into Doctor Who, have, have a bit of fun. There's, there's some cute aliens to, to look at who, yeah. And off we go. Yeah, hundred percent. And I agree with Jason. I, I assumed even after having watched the episode that the meep was CGI, the face because it's incredibly expressive and, and the, the, the brow furrows and, and everything, it, it, it looks absolutely amazing. I was the, behind the scenes. I was really shocked as well that that was, that was all done with like a remote control and, and somebody operating it. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, and to pick up what you said as well about the street battle, it's, you know, we've never seen anything so, exciting and cinematic it felt like something that graham harper would have loved to have get his teeth into i thought because remember when he talked about the the battle of canary wharf that he did in doomsday and uh, how he kept trying to you know make that the battle between the daleks and the cybermen bigger and, and longer and if said if they'd used all the footage it would have been sort of three quarters of the episode because it was so <laughs> uh and that felt like like something that uh that yeah if, if graham harper was back he would have loved to have, had the budget uh, and the resources to do something that epic and the unit as well. I think, you know, talking about the, the sort of the old and the new, they've got this kind of really cool new armor, but they've still got the old Land Rovers as well, which, uh, you know, kind of really uh, cements it back in the, uh, in the old unit days, doesn't it? It's uh, there's a lot of that type of, and obviously the whole story is, is from a 1970s uh, comic strip as well. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's all that, like say fusion of, of old and new, uh, it's, it makes it really exciting and satisfying. Has Elon Musk bought Unit? Because <laughs> 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 they wouldn't get any funding from this current government, would they? <laughs> I spent must- two hours this afternoon up in my loft trying to find my original copies of the Star Beast, just so I could like do reference it, and uh, you know and. Unfortunately, it was that far back that it would probably take me at least a day to like kind of like dig them out. Uh, but you know, um, because I remember, um, I'm probably the oldest here, 
I doubt it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so old. <laughs> oh, I feel so young. <laughs> um, I remember Doctor Who Weekly. I got it. I think it was every Thursday. It popped through the letterbox. And I remember, obviously, uh, Pat Mills and Dave Gibbons, their strips. The first one was The Iron Legion. Uh, and then it was City of the Damned, I think. And then I think The Star Beast was the next one along. And obviously, that was... It was a great twist. Ah, I've got the uh, collected uh, collected one here that's got all those in it. Um, So yeah, I remember reading those strips as a kid, uh, absolutely loving it. And obviously, um, it was good because he took obviously what he needed to take to make it work on television. But there was a few plot elements that aren't in the the TV adaptation that were obviously in the comic strip, the whole thing of the Wraith Warriors putting a bomb in the Doctor's stomach and, and that kind of thing. And that, that, you know, obviously probably would have bogged down the episode a bit. Or if you were doing a two-party, you could have included that plot point. But, yeah, um, and I, I thought it was very, very good how um, um, Sharon, who is the companion who's introduced in that story in the comic strip, how kind of like her role was kind of like uh, taken up by um, like splitting like kind of like Donna's role and her daughter's role, Rose, and they're kind of like sharing it equally. And I also it's quite interesting. I don't know if it's deliberate with the casting of uh, Yasmin Finney. She actually looks like Sharon does in the comic strip. And I thought that was actually, was that a clever touch? She's got the similar hairstyle and everything. So I thought those were nice little touches. And the design of the spaceship, is exactly the same as yeah, it is. That was beautifully yeah. done. Yes. Yeah. The yeah. one thing I well, actually, there were two things that I missed um, from the original comic strip. Um, firstly, I wanted to see the Doctor and everyone get on the bus with the Meep to escape, <laughs> which would have been brilliant. But obviously, the taxi that's still yeah. still form of transport, and that was brilliant with the Meep eyes just up over the top of the. The, the seats in the in the taxi was was wonderful. I loved that he he she they was sitting in the front. Yeah. Sorry, the definite article. The uh-huh. meep was sitting in the front. <laughs> but I did miss the meep's high chair, which was brilliant in the comic strip with its great big stilts and it's right up high at the top of the rocket, sort of <laughs> commanding everything. And I thought that would have been such a brilliant visual, but maybe that would have been one step too far. Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of uh, little nods as well. The in the original comic strip story, that the TARDIS lands aboard, aboard the Roth ship first, and uh, it's all dark, and the the Doctor's um, trying to find the light switch, and he grabs one of the yes. eyeballs of the Roth Royals, and that's like Donna going for the eyeball of the of the Meep in the shed, isn't it? And I wondered if that was a, a kind of a deliberate little nod. Uh, but yeah, the thing about the the bomb in his stomach, I, I think. Uh, kind of the Roth War is looking so threatening and, and being so uh, kind of aggressive to Grimm is probably sells that, doesn't it? The 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 misdirection that they're the they're the villains of the piece. Yeah, and I did like that we we got Fudge as well. Yes, as well. <laughs> Even though it was sort of a little cameo of of Rose's little friend, um, but that was that was a nice nod to the comic strip as well. So I was glad he was there for a little bit. And the the, the the Wraith Warriors have, have got the same names, haven't they, um, of, as what they have in the comic strip. I think that yeah. uh, that was another like little like handover as well. He didn't yeah, change the name. Constable Shree, Shree. <laughs> Yeah. 
And I like their their voices being like sort of old fashioned officers or or, or or policemen or something like that, but like from an old film. That was uh, that was a nice touch. They didn't have the the monster voices that you would expect. Yeah, they were just jolly nice chaps, weren't they? Of course, the other major voice that we hear in this is Miriam Margulies as the Meep, and wasn't she magnificent? Oh, she was good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I once sat next to her on a train, or rather she sat next to me. I was going to work. This was many years ago, 1999. And uh, I'm on the train from Worthing to East Croydon, where I worked at the time. And she and another chappie get on the train. She plops down right next to me. Bump. There's a bit of a vibration, you know, because she's not the lightest of ladies, sort of. And uh, sitting opposite her, I mean, I thought, well, I know who she is. He looks familiar, but I'm not quite sure who he is. And I later figured out that he was Peter O'Toole. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they got on together. And so I was listening to my CD Walkman. This is how long ago it was. So I turned the volume down a bit so I could hear their conversation. And there was quite a lot of lovey chat. And I was thinking, should I say something to them? Do they want me to? Because they're being quite exuberant. Do they want to be recognised? What's going on? But this was pre-cameras on phones. This was, I had no idea how to deal with this sort of situation. Now I think, you know, we've all learned from Twitter and the internet and social media what you do in these situations. You get a selfie, you're very polite and... uh, you post it and it makes everybody happy. But I knew nothing at that time. But one thing I particularly remember about her was um, they came through with the trolley with all of the drinks and sandwiches and stuff. And would you like any refreshments? And she was like, no, thank you, darling. But thank you so much for asking, she said. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was, so that was quite a journey. <laughs> <laughs> She's quite known for her colourful language as well. So was it quite a colourful conversation? Because Peter O'Toole used to be uh, quite a, a colourful language. Uh, I don't remember particularly, but I'm quite a sweary lady myself. So, I, <laughs> you know, it's just normal for me. But uh, I don't think they were, I don't think they were very sweary, if at all. But, uh, I saw a comment on Twitter and somebody said, uh, well done to uh, getting a very great performance out of Miriam and uh, making sure that she didn't swear at all. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess the outtakes are probably very, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure they are. And we will probably never see those. <laughs> per- perfect casting, though. Yeah, the, 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 she's just brilliant as, as both sides of the meep i think that uh from the minute that uh donna finds the meep in the shed and uh she's uh clinging onto a leg and chasing across the garden and uh, and all that kind of stuff and it just builds and builds until her husband arrives home (laughs) oh wasn't his reaction perfect (laughs) great comic moment and then there's a there's a beat and then and then uh, the meep goes Meep, meep. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> really like when they're sneaking through the neighbor's house as well after they've come mm. down out of the loft and uh, just ambling along and looks in the room and goes, meep, meep. Just so many just lovely little moments like that. It's just directed in, in such a funny way. It's great. There was just wonderful touches of humour throughout. I mean, I, I, I was laughing my head off. Like, obviously, you know, as soon as the doctor landed in Camden, 
got out the TARDIS and obviously he sees a woman struggling with lots of boxes and stuff. <laughs> he yelled, oh, let me help, takes the boxes off, see that it's Donna and puts the boxes <laughs> That was so brilliant. <laughs> oh, I was laughing at that. So, mm-hmm. Oh, it was brilliant. I mean, Catherine Tate is a great comedic actress, but she, she knows how to play the drama as well, which we saw later on in, in the episode. But, um, you know, there's a bloody marsh in, it, in the shed. You know, it was just, oh, just brilliant to, like, see Donna back in the show. Yeah. One million pound Paddington. <laughs> <laughs> and the biggest sausage roll in tooting. <laughs> there's going to be a story about that. <laughs> That's just a brilliant throwaway line. It was probably something to do with Neris. This has got Neris written all over it. Wow, and the way Catherine Tate says Neris with such mm. venom is that I mean, that takes real skill. <laughs> that was really, really great. <laughs> and in that first scene, she mentions that all those boxes that she bought them from a man with a goatee, and she says, Never trust a man with a goatee. I think it's it's probably Rusty Davis throwing that in, knowing that fans kind of leap on things. But it could also could also be the master. Do we think? Uh, it reminded me a bit of uh, Missy working in the phone shop and, and giving Clara the helpline number. You know, is uh, is the master working in the the shop that sells googly eyes? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he's buying the toys in Dubai. Yeah, <laughs> he's actually, yeah the. The Abu woman Dhabi. in Dubai, and they said Abu Dhabi as well. I think that's the mm-hmm. Rani, definitely. Well, yeah, <laughs> probably the Rani. Mm-hmm. But what does she do with them once she's got them? Pulls them to pieces. Pulls their tummies out. <laughs> that was so cute. I, this is this is the thing I picked up from friends who are not fans this week that the Meep has really captured their imagination. And um, I've had one friend messaging me all week said, just imagine the Meep in a hat. That would be so cute <laughs> and things like that. So so it's obviously really captured people the way that it did in the comic strip back in 1980 um, and has been such a, a sort of vivid creation. I think it it really works and it's great credit to Pat Mills and Dave Gibbons, A, that they got the... Um, opening credit um because they were such a huge part of the creation of this brilliant character yeah pat mills has been quite vocal about that on twitter this week um because uh, obviously people are saying oh you must be really really proud dave gibbons has, has said that he's so proud that you know the story is getting a, like a, another airing you know and people are discovering it and he's saying thank you for all the kind words but pat mills is kind of like Saying thank you as well, but I was just saying, you know, it's it's nice that the BBC have recognised us after all this time because Panini, who owned the rights to the comic strip, paid us once and we do not get residuals. We don't get any money for all the times it's been re-released and it's re- been republished. You know, dozens of times he said we get no extra payments whatsoever and it was very kind that the BBC gave myself and Dave like an ex-gratia payment towards the rights of using uh you know the meat and the story so i thought that was nice that obviously he's highlighting an issue there and it's been a an issue not just in uk comics but in us comics for the last probably like 20 25 years about you know uh, the rights of characters and stuff and 
how well creators get paid in the comics industry. But he's also very, very thankful that, you know, um, you know his story is getting like a, a second airing as well. Well, who knows? If I hear Norwegian kids saying meep meep on the train, then perhaps there'll be merchandise. <laughs> well, I, I, character of Mr. Trick, I thought they would have had plushy meeps in the stores. Yeah, but... God, I want one for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I want I mean, a hot water bottle cover. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, the story's been filmed for a year, hasn't it? You know, so they've had the, the designs and they were quick to get out the. Um, the 13th Doctor and the 14th Doctor twin pack from Power of the Doctor, which came out a couple of weeks after transmission. And it's like, you know, come on, it's right before Christmas. Doctor Who's back. Everybody's excited. Where's the merchandise, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, except for a sonic screwdriver that sells out because uh, the website crashes all the time. Oh, and the new Sonic Screwdriver, that does a lot of very useful things, doesn't it? Yeah. Shields. Yeah, yeah. shields and screens. and Yeah, the screens were, were really cool. There was some very nice special effects sequence with that. Mm. And it feels right for the character that it would have defensive settings like that as well. It's not. It's still not a weapon or anything, is it? But a, a force field is, you know, it's a, it's a useful sort of defensive thing. Um, but then also that kind of display is quite cool, it does. Yeah, the display thing, I thought, it's a nice visual touch because obviously previously, during like the probably ninth, 10th and the, the 11th Doctor as, as well, they used to like do something with the Sonic and they kind of like stare at it like that and then reel off a load of exposition. Whereas now what we're actually doing is we're actually seeing that because he's bringing it up mm. as a display. So I thought that's a nice little evolution of, of the prop there. Yeah, and you can actually show his companions what's going on. <laughs> That's it. They used to say it was a telepathic interface, didn't they? Because there was no screen on it, but the way the doctor used to look at it. But uh, I think they explained in one story that it was telepathic. To... Yeah, um, Clara was like, just think and click. That was it, mm. wasn't it, when she was using it with Nanny Pink when he was a Cyberman. Yeah, so that was like, I want one of those. <laughs> and I want cuddly meep. <laughs> Disney are pushing all my Disney are pushing all my buttons. <laughs> I think Sylvie was brilliant in this in this episode as well. Her her characters evolved and I think you really get a sense. Though it's really funny all the times that she keeps trying to deny that there's any aliens or spaceships. You do get the sense that for fifteen years she's lived with this fear that uh, you know, because you know, everything that's happened throughout um, all the eras since in modern day Earth, she's probably tried to shield Donna from, um, although Donna keeps missing everything, which is a thing from the 2008 series as well, wasn't it? That she'd missed Doomsday because she was scuba diving and all that kind of stuff, um, mm-hmm. that she, she didn't see the spaceship crash. But I think you get a real sense from Sylvie that it's how hard it's been trying to sort of take care of her and not let her be exposed to anything in that way. It, it was a really beautiful scene, and it, it shows obviously the, the the progression of the characters that she's been struggling with that. But it's it, this is the brilliance in Russell T Davies's writing. He kind of like pairs that up with the struggle that she has with having a trans granddaughter, which I thought was excellently handled because they have that conversation, Sylvia and Donna in the kitchen saying. Did I say the right thing? I don't know what to say, and I think that's that. That's really bringing quite a kind of like you know a important topic, but bringing it so down to earth 
because so many people in that situation would have those similar kind of discussions. And it was so sensitively handled. And then Russell T. Davies kind of like then turns it on its head because Donna then says, you're doing brilliantly, you know, because you you have a daughter, you bring them up and you always praise them. And then she does that thing of flipping it and talking about herself and how Sylvia treated her. Don't you, mum? You know, because obviously Sylvia was never that kind of like supportive um, that when we saw like her previously, you know, she was always quite critical of Donna. Um, so I thought that scene was beautifully pe- played between um, the two actors. And obviously it was just really kind of like, you know, bringing a topic into the show and just dealing with it so well. Yeah, I thought Jacqueline King was was absolutely superb in this episode. She was so brilliant. And she played the the sort of emotional scenes really well, but she also played the comedy brilliantly. So when she's trying to hide the meep or hide the doctor from from Donna and, and all of that, and obviously she finally gets to slap him as well, like all the other Russell T. Davis mums have done. And and David Tennant's reaction to that was also really, really brilliant. And and just her you, she says furiously when she spots him at the door. Is all of that is absolutely brilliant, and I was I was so glad to see her back. It was really lovely to see that, but also to like like with Donna, fifteen years of backstory filled in very economically, and and the characters evolved. It's not just bringing back someone from the past doing what they've done before. This is this is a new. Sylvia Noble, who's had 15 years of life. Although she doesn't look that much older than she did. She's, no, she's, she's she looks remarkably well. She? Yeah. she uses the same skin cream that Paul McGann uses. Ah, <laughs> I, I've got to get me some of that. <laughs> it's probably from Metabellis 4 or something. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Um, they say 15 years, bloody hell, everybody is looking really good. I mean, um, David Tennant's hair has gone a bit mad. But, uh, I mean, that quiff, <laughs> that's incredible <laughs> quiffage. Definitely. The, the bit with Wilf, I did for a second wonder if, you know, they hadn't managed to film everything they wanted to with Bernard Cribbins. And, and this was the way of writing him out. And, it was, and the way that David Tennant did that scene as well, reacting when he thought that that Wilford died was was really powerful I thought that was uh, was a really nice little acting moment just in a few seconds like you Mark I was completely convinced that maybe they decided not to use the footage or or anything or or whatever and and that they were were killing him off off screen and and then to turn that round was was brilliant and then Sylvia gets the upper hand at that moment as well which is great yeah I mean they obviously do need to acknowledge that Bernard Cribbins has passed away at some point during these three episodes, and I guess that's a, that's a strong way of doing it. But then they do get to see him, so I mean, I think they will use the footage somehow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think obviously, from what we know, they filmed a day with uh, Bernard uh, before he got poorly, and then they filmed with a stand-in who was dressed as. Wolf in the wheelchair as well 
Um, and somebody said, well, that footage was supposed to be from the Star Beast because it was filmed around Camden in the same area. But um, on a group that I kind of like, you know, contribute, somebody had actually done a comparison and said, well, actually, the TARDIS is in a different spot. So that footage must be from the Giggle. So it's like, oh, right, okay. So hopefully we'll get to see a little scene with Bernard, you know, as a final goodbye in the Giggle, hopefully. And I do get the feeling that he probably w- would have been in the Star Beast as well. But obviously, given the circumstances of what, you know, sadly happened, uh, they probably then decided to reshoot it and then add that scene in there as well. So it was, it, however they do it, um, you know, even if they can't use the footage or just that kind of like acknowledgement of the character, I think is enough and perhaps like a dedication at the end of the, the free specials to say, you know, in, in memory of Bernard Crimmins, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's enough. But hopefully, hopefully we will see him. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really, really hoping that, fingers crossed, that we will see him one last glorious time. I did like that Unit has an old people's home. <laughs> You think all, all the old companions end up there eventually in their in their lovely little cheap, very cheap flats. Yeah. <laughs> the way the things are going, there will be episodes <laughs> taking place there. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and and the bit in the in the Meep spaceship where the glass partition came down felt like a bit of a callback to the scene with Wilf, didn't it? In the end of time, yeah, where um, you know this. The sacrifice to be made, and uh, and the two people are separated like that. That uh, that felt like another nod to that character. I thought, yeah, and the Doctor railing against why me, that why me um, thing sort of very much echoed that scene. I thought, yeah, it's kind of like very much. It's more or less exactly the same reaction to what the tenth Doctor had when he, you know, hears the four knocks and then turns around and sees that it's it's Wolf, you know, stuck in the whatever it was, that <laughs> that compartment thing. But, yeah, I thought that was very, very well handled. And obviously then Donna, you know, saying, look, you know, we, we need to save my daughter, we need to save my family, we need to save the 9 million people in London. And it's, uh, you know, then the 14th Doctor basically saying, no, it's, it's going to kill you if, if we do this. And she, her, her, accepting her fate, and I thought that was really well acted, uh, again, by you know the two uh, stars of the show, and you know then the fourteenth Doctor then starts just saying these random words, and then you realise what he's doing. He's kind of like it's a code that he's implanted in Donna to then release, you know, the 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 Doctor Donna side of a, a, of the Meta Crisis. For a second, I thought that Donna was going to say the speech from the end of Survival because she starts off saying something like somewhere out there, uh, you know, there's there's people need help and there's danger. And I thought for a second it was going <laughs> to it was going to be a bit of that speech. <laughs> well, her coffee never gets cold, so <laughs> no, she never holds on for it to it for long enough to. Show it. <laughs> I didn't also have have a moment where I thought, well, maybe he's actually killed Donna off and. <laughs> as he done this, and it was very well played that we don't see her move for for a little while, and and then she just springs up, and it's brilliant. <laughs> I read something on Twitter. Someone has a theory that the Doctor actually has a kill sequence for all of his companions. <laughs> he can yeah. just finish any of them off at any time he chooses. 
There's a couple of new characters as well. Uh, obviously, the main one is is Shirley, but also the the newsreader um, is is Matt Green, who I really like on Twitter. He does a lot of really satirical comedy. It kind of reminded me of the way that that Suze Kempner was cast as Doom and and does a lot of that kind of satire, you know, against the government. And and Matt Green does as well. He's, he's brilliant. So it's great to see those kind of people getting a bit of a break. And it would be nice if he was like the new Trinity Wells or something like that. I thought if he's uh, if he keeps reporting on things that are happening in the Doctor universe and maybe keeps getting bundled away by unit or, or whatever, <laughs> any aliens that are around. Yeah, I thought that was a nice bit of comedy as well, where he's just sort of pulled into the back of a van and yeah. sort of and the screen <laughs> sort of goes off. I thought that was was really good and unit being efficient, which is is very unusual. What do we make of the uh, six scientific advisor of UNIT? The wonderful Ruth Maidley. Well, I liked her and I like her wheelchair. <laughs> and I love I loved the line, you know, what you you're armed. We all are, you know. It's like okay, every wheelchair user has got concealed weaponry in their wheelchairs. That would be very cool. I thought she was excellent. She was really good, and the character was really intriguing. And I especially liked the bit where um, she acknowledged that she couldn't get up to the top of the rocket, but it wasn't a problem. And that don't make me your problem, go and do your job, was really, really excellent. Um, And her her sort of chat with, with the Doctor was really intriguing as well. And the Doctor taking a back seat from unit as well was kind of different again so it was a, a... we've got this off you pop <laughs> I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. fantastic and again it's that nice acknowledgement that obviously he's got the same face because she thinks she's talking to the 10th doctor initially yes. mm-hmm. and then he starts saying well you know i then had a bow tie and then i was a scotsman and then i was a woman and she's got oh, oh, oh hold on how do you know this? That's in your future. And then he explains that, you know, I've regenerated again and I've got this face, but I'm wondering why. And then obviously you get a bit more of the Donna backstory. I think that probably was going to be how they'd done it. And perhaps they what they then decided to do because of the, the Disney Plus audience and with the past series not being on Disney Plus as well, they then probably did that face-to-face introduction that started the episode to like fill in a little bit more, you know, and give the, you know, rather than save it for like the kind of like 20 minutes into the episode. Uh, so I thought it was actually a better way of doing it, even though you get a repetition of the same kind of information. But yeah, um, it's interesting, obviously, because, you know, last week we were discussing about the, you know, supposed problematic, uh, you know, issues with Davros and how we have such a positive representation of uh, a wheelchair user now, you know, in this uh, episode. And it's great that she's going to be obviously in the giggle because that's going to be unit focused as well. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Paul is sure, though. He's he's the first scientific advisor. No, you weren't. Liz Shaw was. <laughs> yeah, she'd been in the job hours before you got it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, but did you notice um, her inhaling a little bit of Artron energy at the end yes. of the episode? Mm-hmm. So, who knows? I thought she was blowing it away from her face. 
I, would you do that? <laughs> I definitely want a, want a little hit of Artron myself. <laughs> I thought she was just blowing it to, to see the patterns, yeah. But no, I thought she was absolutely brilliant. She's She's been terrific mm. in the in the Sixth Doctor series for Big Finish, Ruth Maidley. Uh, the, the Purity, I think it's a, a series of four box sets where she plays a companion. She's fantastic and that's it's great to see her in, in the series as well. When she said we're all armed, I thought she meant all unit personnel. I thought that's what she meant. Well, like, yeah, there's, a bit of, there's a bit of ambiguity there, isn't there? You know, because, uh, you know, you see some a wheelchair user out on the street, you know, better be a little bit careful. Yeah. <laughs> <she's> like, oh. <laughs> but she did have a unit branded wheelchair, which was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of hope Osgood's still around as well, because I really love the character of Osgood. I think oh, yeah. maybe she's on the unit space station that we, we heard about in, in the Tales of the with, TARDIS. Perhaps with the other idea. 56 unit scientific yeah. advisors with Malcolm. <laughs> yeah, Lee Evans is <laughs> there as well. <laughs> it's a nice new dynamic, because like Malcolm and Osgood had that kind of fan relationship with the doctor and it was you know waited the whole life to meet him and had read all the files and just knew that he was a legend and everything so having that sort of slightly less impressed character was it was a nice change from that i thought that she's uh she's not kind of hanging on his every word and and uh you know kind of really impressed by all these exploits it's yeah like you say like no no we've we've got this like you say they're more efficient and capable now yeah, just get a bonus for meeting him, though. <laughs> Maybe that's written into every unit contract, that if you meet the Doctor, a bit of a bonus for you, because you might not come out of this alive. <laughs> well, there's even a line about that, about like, the scientific advisors being like, you know, fans, you know, because he, uh, the, the, the Doctor says, waited all your life, and she goes, you wish. Yeah, if we are going to get the unit spin-off that that's rumoured, uh, she'd be she'd be a great addition to that, along with uh, I suppose you know Kate and potentially Tegan and Ace, who are unit operatives now, and uh, and maybe that's maybe Mel as well that we know is coming back. It's uh, potentially going to be a, a fantastic cast if if that series does does go ahead. I know. How lucky are we that you know all of this is happening? <laughs> It really is like Christmas come early for me with, you know, you open iPlayer and the who, there is a Hooniverse. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. Loving it all. And just having that ident at the start of the, the episode felt quite epic and we're, we're embarking on, on, a, on a new era, and, but it's all part of the same thing. And I think that's Murray Gold's best work in years. I love that fanfare. I think it's really great. It's really exciting. Yeah, taking the cue from Marvel there, haven't they? And, and yeah, it gives you that little that little bit of excitement before I'm a big MCU fan, and, and yeah, before a Marvel film, getting that getting that ident is is really cool. And uh, yeah, I love that. Uh, I love that we've got a Doctor Who version of it, and uh, you presume they can keep mixing it up with different. Because it's you've got one for doctors, one for companions, one for monsters, haven't you? In the in the who, I think. So it's cool if they keep keep changing that up as well a bit. Well, one of the rumored uh, spin-offs that was in the Daily Mirror, wasn't it? Um, it? That was announced like last week, and that we're getting like a, like a monster series, and the Sea Devils are going to be uh, the first ones in that uh, kind of like spin-off, focusing on them. So again, you know, uh, lots of promised uh, or rumoured spin-offs and it, it kind of like all ties into what Russell T Davies said 
way before he was announced that he was coming back. And it's almost like he was tantalising us then because he was probably having discussions with the BBC already, saying, you know, why can't Doctor Who be like the Marvel you know, cinematic universe? Why can't it have multiple shows? Why can't you have a 10th and 11th Doctor miniseries that runs after, you know, the main show? Why can't you have a unit spin-off? Why can't you have, you know, another spin-off? And we've already had Tales from the TARDIS that's, you know, debuted. So it looks as if, you know, all these kind of like ideas he's had in his in our head for the last like 15 years are all kind of like coming to fruition through the benefit of the deal with Disney. You do some great stuff with that. You could have, like, say, a Sea Devil series or a Dalek series be like Mission to the Unknown uh, in, in the old series where, you know, you get a sense of what the, they're planning and what they're doing, and then it can kind of collide with the with the main series and the Doctor becomes involved at that point. It'd be great storytelling opportunities there, isn't it? Yeah, I have, I have this feeling that the memory TARDIS will play into to Doctor Who itself at some point from the tales of the TARDIS, the way that's sort of been seeded and the hints are sort of there about how important it is that you remember things. And it's just all of that, that being where it might just be, be me being a fan trying to connect things together and think, Oh, well, if I was doing this, this, this is exactly what I would do. And then thinking, well, Russell T Davis is far cleverer than I am. So he's probably thinking 12 steps ahead of the rest of us because, well, I mean, and he's already, a season and a bit ahead of the rest of us anyway. Yeah. So, you know, all of this could could be sort of part of a, a much longer game that's that's coming. And we get the hints in this story of the Meep reporting to the mysterious boss. Mm. Probably not the boss from the Green Death, but you <laughs> never know. <laughs> it's entirely <Yeah. laughs> we have to wait for the novelization to see whether it's capitalized or not. <laughs> um but, you know, there's that hint of a bigger story going on. And obviously, we've still got the tantalizing hints of why David Tennant's face has come back. And is this some, is obviously something bigger than we're, we're all expecting. But um, maybe it's time to speculate. Who knows? <laughs> well, I mean, I try and stay moderately spoiler free and I try not to. Um, speculate too much because I like to be surprised. But uh, I mean, I assumed the boss would be the celestial toy maker, but I would be very happy to be proved wrong about that. Well, I saw somebody put a very good thing that um, again I hadn't even like contemplated, um, but somebody said like you know, well Ross no, uh, not Ross Noble, Rose Noble is a toy maker. She makes. Yes. Toys. <laughs> I was like, oh, I wonder if there's something in that as well. But you know, yeah, like well, hey, it's it's those seeds that he's planting. But I'm calling it now. You know, we've we've not had a. She's been rumored every time that somebody turns up. They say it's going to be her. I'm calling it now. The boss is the Rani. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be. Come on, we've not had her back. So let's have the Rani back. Someone brilliantly. Um, in a brilliant piece of speculation, said, well, the Meep is a comic strip character, so his boss is obviously Mr. Dog Bolter from from the late Davidson and, and early Collins strips, and that would be brilliant. And obviously he's done a, there's a big finish with him in as well. And that would be that would be so good. Finally coming to get his revenge. <laughs> yeah. 
We should credit that's Jim Sangster on uh, over on Doctor Who Literature that uh, that that said that uh, that Rose is a, is a toy maker. Uh, oh, is that where it came from? Yeah, but I, I kind of think it probably is the toy maker just because I think if the Meep's working for somebody like right, maybe arriving where the Meep did in order to drag Donna into the story maybe knowing that a crashing spaceship would bring the doctor there. It feels like part of the toy maker's game is, is that. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking it's probably a short term thing over the specials, but it would be cool if it was a longer term thing that carried on into, into the 15th doctor's series of having this mysterious boss. I mean, a kind of a, a blue type figure that we just see hints of. Stroking one of Rose's bushes. Yeah. <laughs> or just stroking the meat. <laughs> I'd love to see the meat back. Yeah, I would as well. Although I think well, long term, um, because uh, I think in the I've not listened to it myself, but in the uh, the commentary that's on iPlayer between David Tennant and Phil Collinson, who's another returning producer, uh, David Tennant says he doesn't know who the boss is. Now, is he? lying slightly or is he genuinely saying I've got nothing to do with me that's something that Russell's doing and for shooting right. series so whether or not that's true or it's a red herring I don't know interesting so it's the Rani <laughs> <laughs> or the Black Guardian mm-hmm. <laughs> we're certainly going to be excited to find out Mm. It's going to be fun finding out. So, did anyone have any particular standout moments that they just absolutely loved? Uh, I, well, I mean, I think would you say the biggest standout moment at the end of the episode comes when uh, you know we see the new TARDIS interior? Mm-hmm. Oh yes! How gorgeous is that? That it's is huge. lovely. And you know the roundels? I was in a lighting shop because we need a new light for our bathroom. And it's like we were looking at this coloured LED one, which was a little bit sparkly in the middle. And it looked to be about the same shape as the roundels. <laughs> and I thought, what? Have they just bought like a thousand of these lights. <laughs> so that is going to be my new bathroom light now. I'm going to have one of the TARDIS roundel type things. <laughs> Apparently, I read somewhere there's 800 of them. Okay. All around. 800 roundels that all like light up so that, that's cost a fair a bit of uh, cash well right? they're 2,000 kroner each in Norway so that's about 160 quid I guess <laughs> well there we go that's where all the Disney money has gone then <laughs> well yes and the batteries for the remote controls so you can change the colours <laughs> well I mean um, yeah I mean that set's just magnificent. And there was so much speculation after the episode about how much was CGI, how is it all real? And to have it sort of listening to the commentary this evening where they said it's all real, it's a really huge fixed set, is just amazing. But apparently the doors don't open oh, into the, the other doors. bits. Yeah, so if um, if they later decide that they want to do an interior bit of the TARDIS, then they're going to have to figure out a way of doing that as a special effect. But, yeah, the doors do not apparently open. So. You'll have to build an extension. Mm. And it looks amazing. Needs a hat stand. 
Yeah. yeah that was definitely more. missing. He hasn't got anywhere to hang his jacket. Somewhere to sit. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, some. <laughs> I also read somewhere else, someone said, well, K-9 could come back. He'd have a brilliant time scooting around that. <laughs> but I think maybe the coffee machine has to go. It's a health and safety nightmare. And the effect of the coffee as well. I mean, bloody hell, you spill coffee on your computer, you don't burn your house down, do you? Unless you're very unlucky. As soon as they get to it, it's like fire, uh, like brand new uh, story. I mean, go. is she Donna Noble or is she Frank Spencer? That was, that was something Bill Collinson said. He, he, he got the script and rung Russell up and said, no, he said, how can you do, we've just bought this paid for this new set and you're blowing it up immediately in a really big way. He said, what are you doing to us? The TARDIS is very forgiving. <laughs> Luckily. It's such mm. a huge set, so it's obviously going to be... They've, they've built it to last and it's going to be there as a standing set. So, um, And it's so spacious that you're just probably going to... I, I feel it's going to probably be, turn out to be like... Uh, Matt Smith's second uh, console room, which then was inherited by um, Peter Capaldi, and then they kept adding to it. You know, they added the book stands, and then they added more, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, kind of like lighting and, and roundels. And, and I think, obviously, when Sh- Shooty takes over, I think you're probably going to see like more stuff. Perhaps even a hat stand will like go in there, and perhaps like you know, there'll be a, like a comfy chair or something. It gives you scope to for each doctor to mould it to their personality. That's really cool. Uh, and to, to go back to what you were saying, say about the standout moments, the, the the battle on the on the street, I thought was was phenomenal. Uh, as I said before, and I, I like the way the doctor is is sneaking through the 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 different lofts uh, of the houses on there. Yeah, I felt like he's, this incarnation is quite sneaky when he sneaks into the ironworks and then he gets in the unit truck. That takes him back to Donna's Road and things, and I wonder if that's that's something that's going to be a feature of this incarnation, and and we might continue through the other specials that he's quite kind of surreptitious mm. like that. Yeah, he just sort of wanders around, not attracting any attention to himself. Which, yeah, um... I wonder whether that's sort of part of his um, having this face back has made him a bit wary of being out and about and being seen a little bit more perhaps than the normal, particularly as, because uh, he doesn't start like that because he comes out of the TARDIS and he's sort of dancing around the street almost and enjoying himself. But as soon as he sees Donna, it's like he becomes a bit more wary about all of this and the, the coincidence is, feels like it's a bit too much for him. And maybe he just wants mm. to take a bit of a backseat because he's not sure what's happening here. And there's obviously he is worried about having this face back, and it's it's a mystery for him. I think people are recognising from the Olympics as well and want want selfies with him. <laughs> <laughs> there's that line about obviously he doesn't believe in destiny, but if there is such a thing, then obviously it's heading for Donna Noble. So I don't think we've seen like the full story, uh, even though like the meta crisis element has been brilliantly solved you know because obviously you know when you know we watched the stolen earth and and journey's end and i watched that um earlier you know the day of broadcast on the saturday uh just to like you know have a bit of a a run-up i did a a few episodes from series four you kind of like 
think, well, that's that's it for Donna. That's 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 the end, you know, because if she remembers, her head will explode with Time Lord energy and she dies, you know. And again, it it, it speaks out to the cleverness of Russell T Davies of that he came up with such a now that you you've seen it, it's such a simple explanation that because Donna's had a daughter. It split the metacrisis, and then obviously it negates kind of like the element of it killing Donna. You know when it's like reignited, because it's now been passed along to a daughter. So you know it's such a clever solution, and I wouldn't have thought about that. You know in in a million years. So again, it's like you know this episode is so full of you know lots of different highlights and stuff, but. Again, I think it just comes down to to the writing, you know, and and not to like dwell on you know the past, but it's refreshing that you know I wasn't a fan of Chris Chibnall's kind of like writing, um, even when he wasn't showrunning the the show. Um, but it's refreshing to see kind of like you know Doctor Who a bit more kind of like upbeat, exciting, you know fast paced and you know kind of like as it was but still with a new kind of like tint you know angle to it i thought the line about i don't believe in destiny was interesting when the, you know the last thing that that Lucy davis did and, and how we saw the tenth doctor out was that prophecy was that he will knock four times and that was taken very seriously and uh you know the doctor kind of knew that that he was going to die you know he said to wilf i'm going to die and somebody's going to knock four times for him to now say I don't believe in destiny, I thought that was a an interesting twist, and whether that's just a change in this incarnation's character, or yeah, it's, uh, well, what's happened quite... in the last few gen- regenerations to make him feel that way? It's uh, mm. that's something to think about. I mean, obviously, everything um, Peter Capaldi went through in Hellbent and Heaven Sent, and uh, all the and, rest of it. Yeah, and maybe it's something to do with the timeless children and mm. sort of being that that weight. Maybe I mean, Russell has said that he's going to acknowledge that as well. So it could be sort of that weight of that revelation sort of coming back and saying, I don't believe in, in destiny because my destiny was predetermined. I created the Time Lords or whatever. You never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he did a little, uh, there was a little Easter egg to uh, the Flux, wasn't there, in amongst uh, Rosie's uh, toys that she makes. He had mm. a card, an Easter one. That yes. she so I thought that was a nice little thing, because obviously that his race were all assigned to an individual human. So I just wonder how, how on earth Donna missed that one. I'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she was the one human who didn't have, have a doctor <laughs> sight to her. <laughs> I suppose the others never made it, though, did they? They um, they just stayed in, in orbit. They created a shield, didn't they? So yeah. they never actually got to meet their bonded human. But, uh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there was the thing that, I mean, the Donna was obviously aware of not just the Doctor, but the Doctor having regenerated because she wouldn't have known anything about him regenerating at the end of season four. No, because, that's true. Yeah, so, yeah, like, you know, she must have been, why have, Why are you wearing this face again? She must be, She must know somehow about the other regenerations that have happened in the meantime. 
Yeah, maybe that's a psychic Dr. Donna thing, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, even though it was supposed to be 100% buried, clearly it wasn't because she gave her money away yeah. and... And she called her daughter Rose, and yeah. all the rest, or her daughter chose the name Rose. Yeah, well, in that opening monologue, she says she she keeps having these dreams, and as she's saying that, you see the flashbacks to series four, and she says, you know, the dreams are increasing and they're getting like more and more. So it's almost as if, kind of like, her dreams were becoming more like you know, frequent, and that's tied itself into the 14th Doctor, you know, meeting Donna again. So is there, like, you know... She was getting the information from somewhere. Yeah, so is is this going to tie into the Toymaker being back? Is he kind of, like, pulling the strings of bringing Donna and the Doctor back together for some ultimate, uh, you know, ulterior motive? Yeah, and obviously she had that moment of realising who he was when they were in this in the, the lift together and she, she leaves and when Sylvia says she's recognised him. Yeah, she's, she's called him the doctor. doctor. Yeah. yeah. And that moment of horror on, on Sylvia's face at that moment was was another great moment from, from Jacqueline King. It's nice the way that builds, isn't it? Because when they're in the van and she talks about giving away the lottery winning, she says something like it's something like he would do. And she yeah. says it without realizing what she said. And then, like you say, she she says the doctor needs my help. And so he goes, "Oh yeah, she's she's calling him the doctor." So it's 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 that gradual realization. It's it's really well done. He's good, this Russell T. Davis. I hope he stays for a while. Yeah, he, he's got a bright future ahead of him. He's, I think so. he's a very clever young man. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have him back. And you know. It is quite nice having him back and seeing him interviewed on Doctor Who Unleashed and as enthusiastic about the show as he's always been. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just a real joy. We've missed the words hooray and marvellous far too we much. Have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as I say, it, uh, it, it's kind of weird because you've got Unleashed and the behind the scenes on YouTube, but I guess it's that thing about... Kids only watch YouTube now, don't they? So it's kind of catering, I suppose, for for different audiences there. Yeah, I mean, Unleashed is it's almost, again, it's like meeting up with an old friend because it is essentially Doctor Who confidential, uh, except for instead of, like, a narrator, we've now got a presenter in. in uh, is Stephen Powell, is he called? Yeah. Who's who's very Welsh. More <laughs> <laughs> Welsh than yep. my... <laughs> my partner she's very welsh Uh, (laughs) but yeah so i mean essentially we're back to obviously seeing behind the scenes and that was great because i think that was something that we'd really missed um you know over the last like you know since confidential was taken off yeah we got the odd five minute snippet and stuff that used to get uploaded onto youtube but it never really kind of like replaced like kind of like you know that good proper delve into you know aspects of the show and the making of the show and i love all that kind of stuff so it was really it's really good to have um you know essentially doctor confidential back yeah yeah, and you you think of the people who've who watched that when they were kids who we now hear stories of being involved not necessarily with doctor who but in tv somewhere because they were inspired 
by what they saw in that show. And Russell knows this. Russell knows that you've got to get in the same way he was inspired by reading about the making of Doctor Who in the books and, and things like that, that he knew he wanted to write for TV. So there's something about Doctor Who making people want to be creative and get into the industry and and do all of this. Yes, uh, I did enjoy this section with the boom operator, the sound technician. Yeah. And it's, yeah, looking at, at the jobs that aren't the glamorous ones that are doing the, it's the nuts and bolts of how you make this show as well as how you blow everything up or create the monster. It's those people that, that need to be celebrated as well. And one thing I, I did notice very much, and I think this is because it's a co-production, the end credits were long and he made a po- and they're slow so that you could read who made the show and what all the jobs were. And it's longer than your standard BBC um, end credits. So because they could get away with that because it's a co-production so they could do what they like and the BBC have no choice but to show it how it's made. (laughs) Well, it it could be worse, couldn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the Marvel TV universe TV series things, the credits are in like 12 languages as well, (laughs) aren't they? Yeah. (laughs) But that's something that Toby Haydock talked about on his recent... BBC Four Extra, and if you've heard that A to Z of being a yeah, that was surviving, brilliant. Well done, Toby. Oh, thanks for reminding me. I need to get on that one. It's really nice, but I think that's one of the things he talks about on there is as a kid pouring over the credits, and he says about how TV credits used to be slow enough that you could read them, and then you know you'd want to know about these roles like Best Boy and Key Grip and everything. And like you said, that was really nice on the Unleashed a bit with the Boom Operator, and and also how she got into that. So. It is making it that bit more or less mysterious and, and more accessible for kids who, who do want to get into TV production. So, mind you, you watch a classic Doctor Who, and the credits is like it's one person or maybe two people doing each thing, isn't it? So it's all very simple. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's great because it, I I like them because it kind of like touches back to that thing where you know back in the day when if a, a big blockbuster film used to come out you used to have an hour-long special yes kind of making the film i remember the making of star wars like you know airing on itv prime time half past seven it's like you won't get a documentary like that airing like you know in this day and age well, no, you know and the- you barely get that on on the blu-rays or or dvd releases anymore yeah, on the making of Superman and all those kind of like, you know, things that they used to get aired and then they like couldn't get repeated like every like summer holidays and stuff. And it, it's kind of like it always gave you a fascinating look behind the scenes. And I just think Confident, uh, Unleashed, sorry, is again that, that, you know, transition, that continuation of that. And like you say, if it spurs people on to get interested in how to get into the industry, uh, or to be more creative, or to come up with you know you know their own stories, etc., and and all the rest of it. You know, then you know I, I think it's such a great kind of thing to have associated with the show. I don't think I, I think I've run out of superlatives. Yeah, I don't think I've got anything <laughs> more to say other than I really, really enjoyed it. You <laughs> say it was brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're, we're happy campers. I think it's fair to say. 
Happy Barneys, happy campers, happy yeah, little I'll, meeps. Mm-hmm. I got to watch it with with a couple of Doctor Who fans, which is always a joy as well. And the excitement at various different bits was just, wow, oh, look at this, <laughs> oh, this is amazing. <laughs> David stayed awake the whole way through. Well, there we go. You can't get higher praise than that. <laughs> <laughs> Even my other half, she said it, it was good, you know, and she doesn't really, uh, you know, uh, she's not really that big a fan of the of the show, but she, she sat there and watched the full uh, episode. Uh, and even my 13-year-old, who I've tried to get him into Doctor Who, you know, he's got into everything else that, you know, I kind of like like and stuff. But Doctor Who's always been that one that, you know, slipped through the net. Even he said he was good. There we go. Mm-hmm. Well, my mum has gone one better, and she started watching from the start on iPlayer. Oh. And reached two respect of the for your this weekend. <laughs> wow. Well, are we going to get her on the podcast? We should do. Um, she That's the first story she remembers watching as a kid. And so she was just like... I got to this one and she said, and then I remembered which one this was and how we were all terrified by it. So she said... It was only because I mentioned that it was all on iPlayer, and she said, "Oh well," she said I might dip into that. And before I know it, weeks later, she'd got through the whole William Hartnell era. Oh, <laughs> awesome. I mean that is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, my mum didn't have a lot of time for Doctor Who, although she did watch the Jodie Whittaker first season. She, she sort of actively decided to watch that, mm-hmm. um, but uh, she did get me into science fiction. She used to let me stay up late at night if there was a Quatermass on, and uh, she got me into Hammer House of Horror and things like that as well. And she always knew that if she left me in front of Doctor Who or Star Trek, I would be perfectly well-behaved and engrossed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and she could get on and do other stuff. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's great. Big respect to your mum. Long may yeah. it continue. Mm-hmm. She's absolutely put me to shame, Si, because I, I was going to do a 60th anniversary rewatch and I started in January. I watched An Unearthly Child. For, for Doctor Who literature. Yeah. And the Daleks for Trap One, when we did the illustrated book, book of it. And then I was like, oh, I'll carry on. And the day before the Star Beast dead, I finished the Time Meddler. So it's not gone very well. <laughs> I, I started my um, rewatch from the start on um, 1st of January this year with an adventure in space and time. And I've just watched the last. The first two episodes of the Seeds of Doom, so I guess I'm oh, doing not too right. bad. Mm-hmm. No, well, I did have a month yeah. off work sick as well, you know, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that helped. Mm-hmm. I like Pete's approach of watching one episode every 23rd of November. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our podcast on the Star Beast. Thank you very much for listening to us. You can find all our previous episodes at trap1.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next time when Sai will be leading a panel on the Wild Blue Yonder. Hopefully you'll join us then. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.